Anchor, I am so privileged uh, to be here with you this morning and to be serving you uh, with the gifts that God has given me. Question for you this morning. Where's your relationship at? Where are you guys going? You know, you and her, you've been seeing each other for a while now. What's your deal? Are you thinking about the next step? Have you thought about how she sees the situation, how she feels, where she's at, her needs? Where are you and the church at? You heard me. Where are you and the church at? If you've never had that awkward conversation with the father of or the friend of a person that you are dating, I think we all know what I'm talking about. And today it's my question for you. Where are you and the church at? What's your, where's your relationship at? Um, you see, I think it's okay to date the church for a little while but not for the long term. We all know that dating is not enough. We all know that there's a deeper, more beautiful, more meaningful purpose to our relationships. Dating might be great for the beginning, for sure. You need to get to know the other person. You need to be making sure there's some kind of compatibility going on, that there's a mutual desire, but there comes a time in every relationship that you've got to ask yourself, where is this relationship going? Am I ready to commit? There, I've said it, that word, commit. Why do we find commitment so hard? Even just the thought of it. it. Why do we find commitment so hard? I uh, I met a guy recently, um, a really nice guy, who is a manager at Costco. Uh, For those of you who are unfamiliar, Costco is a warehouse uh, where you can buy everything from fresh fruit and veg through to a new TV, from jewellery to new tyres for your car, all under the same roof. I think it's amazing. In America, he told me you can buy your next Rolls Royce under that roof. And I was like, this is incredible. I can't wait to shop there. And then he tells me, Matt, you need to sign up. You have to commit. You have to become a member. And I totally freak out. It's $50, that's all. But I think, yikes, I am out of there. Matt has asked me, like Brad's been explaining, to finish off a three-week series for you called Dating the Church. The idea being that that's not the best way to see your relationship with the church. That there's a better way. That you might go from dating the church to being committed to the church. And today we're going to see that that best relationship, that commitment, involves not just your time, not just your treasures. It does involve those, but it also involves your talents, the gifts, the skills, the abilities that God has given you to serve his church. And I want to say two things as a caveat as we begin. Uh, The first is there are people in this room today who are just exploring Christianity. Like Brad said, we just... Uh, want you want to give you the opportunity to do that. We don't want you to feel like you have to take part. Uh, by all means, keep dating the church if that's you. And don't just date her on her best day here on Sunday. How good does this place look right now, right? Don't just date her on her best day. Date her on her ordinary days as well. This church has uh, gospel community groups. I heard the Newtown one. They love what they're doing there, right? Represent? All right. They have community groups throughout the week that you can, I'm sure there'll be an invite to them. Or even better, take her out for coffee. You know, get to know her. 
Ask questions that will mean that you'll really get to know what she's about. If you're just checking out Christianity, if you just want to know more about Jesus, keep dating the church, that's fine. The second caveat is this. If you're looking for a church, for a new church perhaps, maybe you're a Christian and you've moved into the area, Uh, maybe you're looking for a church that teaches the Bible, maybe you're looking for a church that's committed to training up people, to, to be using everyone, not just a special group of people up the front, then by all means, check out a church for a while. But remember, there's a deeper, more beautiful, more profound relationship to be had with the church, and it's on the other side of commitment. I want to look at a passage from the Bible today that speaks to our relationship with the church and what that relationship should look like. In fact, no other passage in the Bible is more descriptive of what we should look like as a church than this one. It's from the letter to the Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul. And the verses that we're going to look at come about halfway through the letter. After he has, he's made a turning point, Paul has gone from talking about the grace that God has given us in Jesus Christ to how we should respond to it. He's, he's gone from talking about what God has done for us through to the consequences. And it's important to say right up front that obedience to God, what we do, how we act, Obedience to God is always a response to God's grace. Obedience to God is always a response to his grace. Paul says in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, just before we get to our verse, he says, I therefore, or in response to God's grace, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have received. Let me uh, give you a fast-forward, sped-up version of the first three uh, chapters of Ephesians. This is going to go really fast, I promise. But I want you to see, I want you to remind yourselves of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Listen to this. If you've got your Bible open, maybe you do, you can just scan with me. God has, through Jesus Christ, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world to be right with God. He's given us redemption. He's given us forgiveness. He's given us his Holy Spirit. That means he's empowered us to live a new life. When we were dead, when we were the object of God's anger, because of his great love with which he loved us through Christ, he made us alive. He restored our relationship with Christ. Not only that, he's created good works for us to do in Christ. It says, once we were far off, but now we've been brought near through Jesus Christ. Once we were strangers, but now we're no longer strangers or aliens. Now we are members of God's household. And God is building us together to be his house, to dwell in us. This is the calling that we've received from God. And if this is real, if Paul is right in what he is saying, then there is a new way to walk through life. There's an appropriate response to this calling. And the question is, well, how do we do that? How do we live out this enormous calling? And the answer is, God enables us to. God gives us grace. In fact, Paul says, God's power is at work within us. In chapter 4, verse 7, and I think this is where we're starting today, uh, it says, Grace is given to each one of us as Christ apportioned it in order to build up the church. 
And our passage today, I'm going to read it for us now, follows right from this. Do we have it? Uh, for 12 or 11 through to 16? Perfect. Let me read it to you. It says this. And he, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I've been talking about commitment, and uh, this might feel like the wrong way around, but the way I want to um, share with you this morning is by following the structure of this passage. I think it starts by talking about what it looks like for specific people in our community to serve. And then it talks about the bigger purpose. And then finally, I want to talk about what I think it talks about, which is why you'd even decide to commit to the church. Is that all right? So we're going to start because this is where the passage drops us in by looking at what it looks like for specific people to serve God's church. And the first thing I want you to notice, and you can put up verse 12 on the screen because that'll kind of break up the passage for us today, neatly, I want you to notice that there's a purpose for leaders in God's church. There's a purpose for your leaders. Just like we've heard, God gives everyone gifts in his church. Paul wants to remind us here that God has given our churches leaders. What's interesting about the different types of leaders that Paul mentions, um, you might remember, is that they all are sharing God's message. All of God's leaders are about sharing what God has done in Jesus to us. He mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Apostles are sent out to take the gospel, what God's done for us, to new places. Prophets make God's word, God's message relevant in particular situations. Evangelists share the gospel to new people, to people who haven't heard it before. Shepherds and teachers make sure the gospel remains the diet of God's flock. And he says there's a particular purpose in them sharing this message, the good news, and that is to equip the saints, to equip the saints. That word equip is actually pretty special. This is the only time it's used in the Bible, and it's used right here. And we, the only other place that we really find it uh, in around the time when Paul was writing is in a Greek manuscript from a doctor. And the doctor's using it in a medical sense to talk about the setting of a bone within a body, which I think is pretty interesting because Paul's about to go on and use the metaphor of the body to describe the church. It's possible that Paul is using the word in that sense. And I think he'd be saying the job of our leaders, the purpose of our leaders is to set each bone in its right place, that they get each part of the body in its right condition to function properly. I think that's really interesting. It recognizes that firstly, God's built the body. God's the one who brings us all together. 
And it also recognizes that just like the setting of a bone is about a broken bone, it recognizes that we all come to God's community broken. And we all exist here in a sense in, in brokenness. No one is perfect. But it also recognized that even though our leaders, like doctors, set the bone in place and oversee the process and make sure it's all going okay, they're really just preparing us for the ultimate work that God performs through us and in us. Another way to put it is that they prepare, or the King James Version says, they perfect us through training and discipline for a particular purpose. In my mind, uh, another way to think about it is like a coach training a runner who carefully coaches them to achieve everything they can. I am pretty sure that Matt and the team here would want you to know that they back you 110%. That's their job, to make sure they see you fulfilling everything God has for you. Coaches set up a plan to help you get fit. They watch you as you train your body. They correct your position. They tweak this and that. They help you with technique. They help you with your diet. They help you with your mental game. They give you everything you need to run the race. And that's the thing. The only thing they cannot do for you, well, the only things they can't do for you is the training that you need to do yourself and actually running the race. I want to make just one point to your pastors right now, if that's okay. They thought it was gift enough that they didn't have to prepare a sermon this week. Um, but I wonder whether they can receive a gift in that I can just directly um, talk to them for a moment. Is that cool? That's cool. Preach it. Come on. That was Brian, I think. He wants it. A ministry team, leaders, don't fall into the trap of thinking it's your job to do the work of the ministry, to do everything. Your job is to train others to do that work. I often hesitate as a pastor to ask people to do stuff. But the best thing I can be doing as a pastor is to be releasing other, others for that work. Take risks, trust God, send people out. Train them up and send them out. The New Testament concept of the pastor is not of a person who jealously guards all ministry in his own hands or successfully squashes all lay initiatives, but one who helps and encourages all of God's people to discover, develop, and exercise their gifts. That's your bit. So, pastors equip. That's their purpose. Well, who do they equip? Verse 12 says, they equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Perhaps that's language you're unfamiliar with, but God calls you, all of us, saints. It's Paul's favorite term for all of God's people. It's not a term reserved for the super special, the spiritual elite, but for normal, everyday, imperfect Christians. And it literally means holy ones or those who are set apart for a purpose. I'm talking to all of you now, and you might not know this, but you are called to ministry. You're called to ministry. I'm not talking about quitting your job, going to Bible college, to become a pastor. Paul is talking about you using whatever gifts God has given you to productively serve his church. Ministry is not left to a special group of people. It's actually meant to be the work of everyone in the church. 
This passage envisages ministry not as the prerogative of the clerical elite, but as the privileged calling of all of God's people. Well, you might be thinking, that's all well and good. Uh, Matt, you know, we're meant to be a church where everybody's doing the work of the ministry, but I have nothing to contribute. Maybe you're thinking that. Maybe you're thinking, you know what, I've got nothing. Or at least I feel like I've got nothing. The church has everything it needs without me. Or maybe you're thinking, you know what, I'm not as gifted as that other person, so I won't even bother signing up today. Well, you're actually wrong on all three points, according to this. Number one, you do have something to contribute. Each time Paul talks about gifts in the New Testament, he says to each one of us, grace has been given. Ephesians 4.7, grace is given to each one of us. Romans 12.4, we have received different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. 1 Corinthians 12.4, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You have gifts from God. You really do. Secondly, the church does not have everything it needs without you. It is exactly the opposite. Verse 7, we read it before. It says, grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, or or the NIV puts it, just as Christ apportioned it. That means God has given each of us a measure. Each of us have a part to play, and only you can play your part. And we are only the full measure. You are only anchor church if everyone is turning up, if everyone is playing their part. We use words like disabled or disformed or deformed when parts are not functioning properly or are not there at all. That's how serious this is. And here's something exciting. You know what it means? If Christ has measured it all out perfectly, it means this church right now has every gift it needs to, for its full potential. It has everything it needs for its next step. If God's got you here, then he's got you here for a purpose. He's got you here to, sh- uh, to, to share your talents with others. Paul says a bunch of things about gifts elsewhere, but in this passage, I think he's concerned with two things primarily, how we use them and that we use them. In verse 16, Paul says, the body is only going to grow when each part is working properly. That's what Paul's concerned about, that we're all using our gifts properly. What does that mean? Well, a work of ministry, the word ministry there just means service. How do you judge whether you're using your gifts properly? Is it serving the community? All spiritual gifts, all talents are serving gifts. That is their purpose. They're not given to you for selfish reasons. They're given for unselfish reasons, namely for the service of other people. Every time, again, Paul talks about the gifts in the church. He says they're given for the common good. In Romans, he says each member belongs to all the others. I think this is the coming of age moment for every church. And it's the coming of age moment for each one of us. When we realize that we shouldn't be using our gifts for ourselves. We shouldn't be using our time, our treasure and our talents to serve ourselves but to serve others. I remember one coming-of-age moment for myself. I was uh, sitting with my dad at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Um, 
I might have been in my early 20s, maybe younger, and I was asking my father um, what I should do with my life. I think I'd recognized, um, if I can put it like this, that God had given me gifts, and I, I wanted to know how I could make the most of them, really how I could make much of myself and make me great. And I was talking about this. I was saying, Dad, I could do this. I could do that. I could study this. That would make me better. And, and he said simply, Matt, I've found life works best, not when I think about myself, but when I'm thinking about others and how I can serve them. You can imagine to a 20-year-old, I mean, that those words cut me to the heart. I had nothing to say. And I knew I'd been living life the wrong way around entirely. And as strange as it might sound, that was actually a freeing realisation. It was so freeing because it meant I didn't have to invent myself from within. I didn't have to figure out my identity and create a life out of thin air. It meant all I had to do was to open my eyes to the needs around me, to those people around me, and ask, who can I serve with the gifts God's given me? So there's a purpose for our pastors, that's to equip us. There's a purpose for us, which is to do works of service, to use our talents. Why be committed to God's church? Why use these gifts? Well, there's a big purpose that this equipping and this serving is working towards, and that is to the building of the body of Christ. For the building of the body of Christ. What does that look like? There's a beautiful word here used in verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That word attain, until we all attain, is the word used in the Bible for travelers on a journey reaching their destination. And the destination is described like this. Unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, and to mature manhood. Unity or love knowledge of God and fullness of life. I'm not sure there's much more that anyone anywhere is looking for. Imagine a group of people who are one, who are unified in their cause, who are one in heart and in mind, who are all equal and are all pulling the weight together. Imagine a group of people who know God deeply, intimately and personally. Imagine a group of people that has grown into everything humanity is designed for, perfect in every way. Now, you may be not buying this at all. Are you kidding me? The church does not look like that. Maybe you're thinking, how can a community claim that that's where they're heading? How can they claim to be one? How can they claim to actually know God? How can they claim to be on their way to fullness? I want you to think about this, that if it's true, then there is nothing greater in this world to be a part of. One paraphrase of the Bible says it like this. It says, the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. And if this is true, then Paul wants to warn us that the opposite is also true. We need to be a part of this body and we need to be growing in a maturity so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Paul's saying if you 
are not in the big boat called church, then you are hanging on to a life boy, tossed around by every different idea about what life is all about. And they're all deceitful if at their bottom they are not about Jesus Christ. And I think we're meant to pick up from this picture that Paul paints that drowning is a real possibility here. You're as helpless as a child in a storm out at sea. The church might be in the same sea, but it has an anchor, Jesus. I think that's a pretty good name for a church. Verse 15 shows us how the body attains this. How do we reach the end of this road? The phrase there is, Paul says, rather rather than sinking, he says, speak the truth in love. Um, I'll go to the Greek again just quickly. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about being a nerd, but I think it's helpful. Uh, There's no word speaking in this verse in the original. The verb is just truthing. Or being truthful. Paul's talking about, it's a relational term about covenant loyalty. He's saying a truthful person is someone who lives out the promises that they've made. Commitment is what Paul is talking about. Commitment is how the body grows. Time, treasure, and talents are a good way to practically think about how you might be able to serve in your relationship with this church. But more important than that, if I can say this, more important than that is being faithful, being true to the obligations that you have to this body and true to the time, the treasure, and the talents that God has given you to serve. Turning up, being there. And notice it's not a groaning, a spiteful, commitment. Paul says it's speaking the truth in love. It's being truthful in love. I think it's important to say that the manner is more important often than the means. The manner is more important than the means. You may have gifts, but if there's no love, who cares? Uh, An example is when I was dating my wife, I often tried to impress her Uh, with my talents but now that we are married and if you're married you know this uh, even if you're you know you don't need to be married to know this you can just be in a close relationship more important than your unique gifts and your unique skills is your commitment to that relationship and the manner of your commitment You see, my wife doesn't really care anymore about my gifts. I mean, I can add value to my family when I cook, believe it or not, when I clean, um, especially when I throw parties. That adds uh, value to my family. Uh, But my wife cares about when I take out the bins and when I do it happily. My math might suck, but my wife likes me to help out with the budget. For my church... God's given me the gift of interpreting the Bible and encouraging my church family to live out the calling that God's given them. But if I don't do it in love, I'm nothing. Here's what love is. Love enjoys the other person, but it doesn't exist for enjoyment. It's not a feeling or an emotion. It's an act of the will. 
It exists only in relation to specific people. You can't say you love someone if you don't know them. It exists only in relation to specific people, and it's always costly. So how do, we, how do we do this? I mean, how do you have that kind of commitment? And how do you always find a joy and a willingness in order to commit to your church? Well, listen to this. Listen to the good news. Christ gave up his gift. Christ gave up his divine power for us who were without any power that we might experience and share his divine power with one another. Christ gave up the perfect love that he had with God for us who did not really know love nor deserve it so that we might experience his love and share it with others. The love that we have experienced in Christ is the love that we extend to others. This series has been about committing to the church in our time, our treasure, and our talents. But I want to finish by... um, just finishing with one last question. What's going to stop us from committing with a faithfulness and love like that? What might hold us back? What's going to stop us from taking the next step in our relationship? I think we don't like the idea of committing to the church for similar reasons that we don't like committing to any relationship. I think we fear it's going to cost us more than we can bear. It's going to cost us too much. I think we, lo- we think we're going to lose our sense of control. We're going to lose our freedom. We're going to lose our identity. But what you need to realize is, is that when you hold Christ at a distance, when you hold him at arm's length, ironically, you will never really find true control because you don't have it. You don't have true control. You will never find real freedom if you keep him at arm's length because you'll always be enslaved to what you think about yourself, who you can make yourself to be. And you'll never really discover who you are, the gifts God has for you, what you're made for, because Christ is the true head. He's the true life. You only come alive when you come connected to Christ and to his body. The good news is, if it's true, is this. It's Christ gave up his control. He gave up his freedom when he hung there on that cross for those of us who were out of control, that we might experience his control. Our sense of control doesn't come from our own autonomy. Our sense of control comes from his authority, him being the head over the church. Christ offers to us his control, his freedom, and his identity. So in response to the commitment that Christ has given us, let's commit ourselves to his body and serve with our time, with our treasure, and with our talents. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my friends here at Anchor. Father, I pray that you would make them intelligent and discerning about knowing you personally. That you would open the eyes of their hearts so that they would see exactly who you are and what it is you are calling them to. Help them to grasp the immensity 
of this glorious way of life that you have for your body. Father, your church is Christ's body. It's the way that you speak and act in this world. And you've purposed it to fill everything in every way. Father, we thank you for this calling. Father, and we ask that we might, in response to your grace, move from dating the church to being committed to it. Amen.